Hello, Texans. Happy Easter weekend. Great to have you listening tonight as we are inside NRG Stadium to kick off the holiday weekend. I know many of you are working throughout the weekend. We appreciate that. So are we. So it's great to spend some time with everyone in Radioland and on the podcast, if that's how you happen to be catching us this evening, this day, whatever it is for you. It's a beautiful day. John Harris is with us. Mark Vandermeer with you in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Johnny, how's it going? Doing pretty well. It's walking hallways. It's very, very quiet in here today. Yes. Except for... Disney on ice. Well, yeah, there's Disney on ice, mm-hmm. and then... All of our scouts, all of our personnel people. They're ready. all here. Yeah, this is not a, ho- this is not a holiday for Although them. Although the Raiders, I'm sure their scouts have a lot of time to mess around. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Pretty interesting stuff. It yeah. is. Uh, third segment. You know, we had Cecil Shorts with us at Ruckers, but Cecil's going to be on Texans 360 tomorrow. And Drew Doherty had a chance to get into it with Cecil about his life and some deeper opinions on the team. So the third segment will be Drew and Cecil Shorts the third, who is awesome on the air. So we look forward to hearing that. I mentioned this on Twitter, the biggest question going into the draft. Johnny, it's funny because Armin Williams, the new program director at Sports Radio 610, we were talking about draft night, the draft party, and he said, yeah, I just want to get everybody's reaction for what should be a franchise-changing moment, a franchise-altering player that they take in the first round. And I'm thinking, geez, now all of a sudden I feel all this pressure Mm -hmm. for the organization to take a franchise-altering player. But he's absolutely right. I mean, it's the first pick – that you'll have this year, yep. first round. Brian Gain did well last year, but you want to change the future of the franchise. You pick a home run right here, and I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what position it's going to be, but let's just go at tackle. You know, can you get your next ten year starter at tackle in this draft? Will you get it? I don't know the answer to that, and I'm going to go back and look at 2008 with you. But I know this. They have, a, they have some options already with mm-hmm. Julian Davenport and Matt Khalil, but they want to draft somebody you would think in very early, if not in the first round, so this is going to be interesting. Well, I, I, the, the funny thing about 20, 2008, when you think back to that with Dwayne Brown, I mean, if you, if you look back at those tackles that were taken in 2008, and I'm trying to remember who I've all got were. it in front of me. You, all right, are you ready? Okay, go ahead. So 2008, Texans looking for a tackle. Remember, they had the 18th pick. They traded down. They traded with the Ravens, who picked up Joe Flacco, and the Texans ended up at 26th and took Dwayne Brown. Now, the tackles were flying off the board. Jake Long was the number one overall pick yep. in the draft. Average yeah. career, okay, okay average. career. He did make a Pro Bowl, did. but average career for considering he was the number one pick right. in the draft. You right. didn't get Orlando Pace right there. Right. Let's put, just put it that way. The next tackle to come off the board, pick number 12, Ryan Clady. Rhymes with Lady. Ryan Clady to the Broncos actually did make a Pro Bowl. Yeah. Decent career. Same thing. Decent right. career. Decent career. Not maybe what you'd hope. Uh, is Dwayne Brown the best guy? Well, Taking, that's, that's my point. Yeah. Is Dwayne was what numbered tackle? He was like eighth. Because let, let me, let me read the, the rest of the guy. tackle. Chris Williams next. Bust. Brandon Albert to uh, the Chiefs, and he made a Pro Bowl, but yeah. again, not exactly a household name. Godster Cheryless, who bounced around. Taken by the Lions initially. Yep. Uh, let's see. Jeff Ota Nothing. from Pitt injuries. goes to Carolina. Yeah, injuries. Sam Baker from USC went to Atlanta, Get 21st overall. Bad back. And then there you were at 26th, and the Texans take Dwayne Brown, the eighth tackle taken mm-hmm. in the first round. And another tackle does not come off the board until, let me just check my work here, round three. Round three was your next tackle. So, it was either Dwayne, he was like the last house on the left for a while, 
And uh, the round three was John Greco going to the Rams from Toledo. Ironically, John Greco was a guy that I actually liked uh, with <laughs> with the Rams. Uh, the in the the point of that exercise is Dwayne was the eighth tackle taken. Yeah, and without a without a doubt, every single team that passed on a tackle, if you redrafted and just said you're taking tackles, Dwayne would have gone number one. There's no question. Dwayne right. would have gone number one. So the point in that is we've talked a lot about Jonah Williams. We've talked a lot about Andre Dillard. We've talked about Cody Ford and what position he's going to play. Now, I was listening the other day to Sirius XM, and, and he was on, and he was like, I can play left tackle. I was like, I don't know about that. I, that that's pushing a little bit. But I went back and watched a 2017 film of him at guard, and it, the game just looked easy to him at guard. It looked really, really, really easy. I think a tackle, the right tackle, I thought he – I thought he did a pretty good job. I just, I just watched him at guards. Like, man, he's really good. Point being, all these names we're talking about, they, they're very easily could be a David Bakhtiari in the fourth round. You know, Titus Howard is a guy from Alabama State that has I, I can't remember where I have. Him. I think I'm in the top fifty, top sixty of the, of the Harris 100. And so he's a second round guy. And I think part of that is because he was at Alabama State. I think another part of that is because he didn't play that level of competition. But when he did play high level of competition. Against Auburn, he crushed him. Now, he struggled the day that I was at the Senior Bowl. But in watching the watching him in subsequent days, once we got back here, watching him on NFL Network and watching him, he seemed much more comfortable. And I saw him at the Senior Bowl just walking around, and I was like, he's built like a brick house. Like, he's – you look at him and go, you're an offensive tackle? Like, barrel-chested – Hardly any fat. I mean, just looks like an athlete, which makes sense because he was a quarterback when he was in high school. But that's a guy that probably will be the fifth, sixth tackle off the board. Right. And you can make an argument that he's the most athletic of the bunch, which what was the what was the asset we talked about with Dwayne? He was an athlete. He yep. was a former tight end who turned himself who turned himself into a tackle and got better every year that he was in the NFL. And I think that's Kind of what you see with a guy like Titus Howard. He very easily could be the fifth or sixth guy off the board. So I, I go back to at, at 23, look, would I love Andre Dillard? Heck yeah. Oh, there's there's no question. I would really like Jonah Williams. Some of the guys that we mentioned, I would really like Jonah Williams and Andre Dillard. I would love them, but you're probably going to have to move up in the draft. And I just get the feeling that's not Brian's MO, not in the first round at least. I brought it up with the morning guys today that, Brian Gain made a trade during the season that was a significant trade, acquiring Demarius Thomas yep. fourth, for the fourth-round pick from the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a pretty aggressive mid-season kind of move because he had to do what he felt. Mm-hmm. No Will Fuller for the rest of the season. Kiki QT banged up, hard to get back, or slow to get back right away anyway. So you look at it, that was a good move. That was a bold move. And I'm wondering if there's a bold move yeah. coming in this draft Maybe not with a first-round pick. I don't know. Maybe he does something. You have four picks in the first three rounds. You know, maybe he likes having all those selections. I'm sure he does. Well, if he really does want more, there's a trade-down possibility yeah. somewhere. I guess he said it yesterday, Johnny. I don't know what you thought of this quote. We're going to – I don't want to get it wrong. We're going to let the board speak to us. Yeah. The board will start talking. The board will speak to us. And it will tell you, uh-oh – or not, uh-oh. I hope it doesn't say uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. I don't like what I got up here on myself. I'm the draft board. 
We need a draft board character. Somebody's got to play the draft board. The draft board. <laughs> or the draft board will say, <laughs> I've got a lot going on up here. You could trade down and still be very happy and fortify various positions. No, you know what it should be? What? Take, take a Ouija board and change it to the draft board. Oh, my god! And then, gosh. like, me and you are like, who will we draft? And it moves yeah. around. you got to be careful with those Ouija boards. They're, like, my in-laws think those yeah, are, like, really freaky. Yeah, I, I think they're kind of freaky, too. But uh, at, at that point, what, what he's – what Brian's getting at, you know, letting the board speak to us, it is, yes, you would love to be able to satisfy your needs with the best player available. But if you look at the board and the way the board is falling out, depending on the draft, because look, there's going to be a surprise picks one through 22. There's going to be a surprise or two like you didn't see coming. Like, whoa. Like last year, it was Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny went in the first round. And, and as much as I liked Rashad Penny, I did not see him going in the first round. It was a shock, and that just pushes another player down like, the board. And so there's going to be some of that. So there's going to be there's going to be some of that. So that's going to that is what Brian means is the board's going to speak to them like, okay, fifteen picks have gone, and we've only taken a few of the magnets off the board. Yeah, that's good. The board is speaking to us. It's allowing us. And so what he's also saying is the board is saying we get to twenty three, and all of a sudden the guys that we had that were listed there that we thought we had an opportunity to get, they're all gone. So now what does the board tell you at that point? Trade down. Yeah. Like start thinking about your trade down opportunities once you start getting at 20, 21, 22. Start thinking about that ahead of time and playing it out. And that's that's what he, I think, you know, was alluding to about the board speaking to them. If there are players on the board, hey, maybe we can trade down and still get one of our guys. Yep. Maybe we can trade down because there isn't one of our guys. Yeah, he talked about having three or four players wherever you think you might end up right. picking, and and that's what you want. All right, we have three or four different options here, and maybe there's no – well, there's probably one decision that's more right than the others, but maybe they're all good decisions, yeah. really, in your mind at least at that point. I think it's – Johnny, I don't know how you feel, but if you're a GM, what about – the draft gets started. You're picking 23rd. And in the first 15 picks, you mentioned the first 15 picks, you have four trades, three trades, something like that. Give me a number. Those trades would have to sort of aggravate me a little bit. Maybe not aggravate, but definitely get my antenna up because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, everybody's moving around. Mm-hmm. Where did those guys end up that made those deals? Right. And what did they want? And do they want what I want? And now it just yeah. becomes this whole other kind of game. It, it's not no, a no. static thing with everybody where they are right now. It's going to change on draft night. There's no question. And I think there will probably be two or three trades ahead of you. And I think what, what going back to Brian's point, the board speaking to you, okay, this team traded up. In their minds, in that draft room, there are going to be opinions about what they're going to do. Look, when you're out on the, when you're out on the road, all these scouts are on the road together. They talk. They talk about players they like. They yep. talk about things they saw. They talk about things they know. So, hey, Washington is traded up. I got a, I got a feeling I know what this is about. In that room, they got a pretty good feeling yeah. or have an idea of what they're doing. Okay, they're going up for a quarterback. They're going up to get this guy. I guarantee you, when we traded up in 2017 and got to number 12, I guarantee everybody knew it was quarterback. Everybody yeah. knew it was Deshaun at that point. It, it made a lot of sense. Now, there will always be a curveball like, whoa, the Saints traded up and went and got Marcus Davenport. I remember that being a surprise Big last year. Big curveball. Like, Whoa. So I, I think that does change things. But I think, as Brian said, you just let the board kind of play out as it's playing out in front of you. And then when you start getting to a point where, okay, we've talked about this in our pre-draft meetings. We've talked about 
what happens if there are two or three guys that we really, really like? We didn't think we'd get him at 23, but we think we could get him at 15, 16, 17. Are we willing to pay the price to go move up and get that guy? Or do we think those guys are going to continue to follow us? If they don't, do we have guys graded such that we'll take one at 23 and be happy with that? Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of things that go uh, into it, which I think are fascinating. And at 23, you can't play out all the different scenarios to a degree that you want. I was listening to Alex Marvez. He was telling a story that Greg Gabriel was in the draft room with the Giants in 1996. And the Giants were picking fifth. And he said they played out every scenario that they could think of. Every scenario that they could think of. And they were in love with four guys. And they were like, there's no way, no scenario that we've looked at in which those four guys go in the top four picks. And they went in the top four picks. Oh, my God. And, and they no got scenario to the pick, produced that. And they got to pick number five, and they didn't know what to do. And they literally didn't know what to do because those they, they played all out. And that was the Lawrence Phillips draft. And they were convinced that Lawrence Phillips was going one through four. They were convinced. They thought that the Ravens would do it. Instead, the Ravens went with Jonathan Ogden. And so they were convinced that they were, they were going to get their guy one through four because they loved one through four. But – then when they didn't have they – they were like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Because they weren't drafting Lawrence Phillips. And then they ended up drafting a defensive lineman, I think, from Oklahoma named Cedric Jones. And it was just a bust. But it was the guy that Dan Reeves liked, and they sort of yielded the Reeves because it was like he was kind of pounding the table for him, and Cedric Jones was, ended up being a bust. But it goes to the point of – that was at number five. That was – they played out every scenario and found out, at number five, we're going to get one of our four guys. Well, you're at 23. It makes the scenarios – way different. How many different models can you come up with? I mean, I I don't know how you come up with that many different models to say. Because of the trades. Yes, the trades. Like, hey, this guy's still on the board. They're going to go up. That's why I think you have to continue to recalibrate as they're in the room. Good They're sitting there talking, and they're saying, okay, here's how it's going. We're seeing a run on tackles. We're seeing a run on uh, receivers. We're seeing quarterbacks, a bunch of quarterbacks going, okay, this is boding well for us. Or, oh, man, the tackles are starting to come off the board. Hey, we really like such and such. What do you think about going up to get them? Do we need to call Carolina? Do we need to call Minnesota? Do we need to call these teams and start saying, hey, we'll offer this? What's our offer? And I guarantee you that Brian has played those scenarios out in his mind and has thought them all the way through. Because I know I have. I've thought them all the way through. Yep. So I know he's definitely done it, and he's got a bunch of great people around him. So they've gone through that exercise a lot to get ready for number 23. All right, we're going to continue with this conversation, the draft coming up. One week from tonight, we'll know who the first-round pick is. In fact, one week from tonight, we'll be into the second round. Live coverage here from NRG Stadium, Texans Draft Live. So a lot of stuff to go over. Next up, what did the Raiders do that has everyone talking? And also Cecil Shorts coming up on the program as well. It's Texans Radio. The show that keeps you connected with your Houston Texans, Texans All Access, here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. All right, Johnny, we were talking about the draft. What about the Raiders sending their scouts home? This drew a lot of attention over the last 24 hours. The scouts are home until after the draft, and there's speculation that this is because they're paranoid about people leaking information. I can tell you this, as of today, I think, I think I still saw Texan scouts here. I mean, I just think this is highly unusual behavior for an NFL franchise. It kind of, sort of. I, I think there's there's one significant difference here 
than in Oakland. Well, there are more significant differences, but I think there's one. But if you missed it, the tweet from Ian Rappaport is, says this. It says, sources, Raiders coach John Gruden and GM Mike Mayock sent their scouts home for the weekend, and they are not expected to return by draft time. The belief is they don't know who to trust and wanted to clear the room. That's a big deal because when did Mayock get hired? Just this offseason, right? Right. And Gruden has been there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Reggie McKenzie, the GM, moved out. Yeah. So, Absolutely. I think this is the I think this is the without question right move to make because you don't know who to trust. And by the way, how did Ian get that information? It sort of proved their point, yeah. didn't it? The other thing is this: they're you're cleaning house, right? Yeah, you right. said it exactly. I mean, you have new regime; they're going to clean house. You wouldn't whack the guys. All right, I'll use that term. I'll go, you know, casino on right. you here. I'll go right. Goodfellas on you here. By the way, Casino was on the other night, and it's not as good as Goodfellas, but it's really, it's good, really still. good. Very watchable. Yep. Uh, so you're not going to go ahead and do that leading up to the draft because you still need the information. I mean, they're workhorses at that point right. for you, but you want your own guys in there at some point, and that point is going to be probably after the draft. Well, that's the way it works for scouts. The scouts' cycle of movement, if you will, happens after the draft is over. That's right. when you start seeing, hey, this – I mean, that's when it happened, uh, you know, last year for us. Right. Right right after the draft. I, I remember reading right after the draft a article on SI, I think it was MMQB. They did, they did a, uh, or they, not, not like an expose, but they did like a background. They did like a really deep dive into the Jets, Mike McCagnin, Matt Bazrigan, talking right. about Sam Darnold. And how they went about finding Sam Darnold, how it was like this two-year process. And they went through that. I remember reading that. And then like four or five days later, Matt's one of us. He's now now with us, with the Texans. So that's when their cycle is for the personnel This is their Super Bowl. This is the end of their season, right? right? So then it's over, and then they start making moves at that point. So I I read a tweet from somebody. I wish I could give it credit. I think this – there's – I think one of the biggest things in the NFL is trust, like who you trust. And I think that's it's like that in life, to be honest. But, but I think who do you trust? And who's to say that there isn't a scout in that room that might be trying to line something up with some other team, gets information, and tells that team, hey, I think the Raiders are going to do this, or hey, I don't think the Raiders like that. And that's sort of currency for that scout to end up in some other place. The, the Raiders are just not taking any chances, and I do not blame them in the slightest. I think this is the smartest thing that they could possibly do. Now, where that could end up being a little bit of a problem is with the undrafted. Mm-hmm. Because that's when your scouts are doing a lot of legwork to say... Now, then again, if these are guys that you feel like you're moving on from, you really think that they're going to be working hard to go get your priority free agents? Well, especially if they know you're moving on from them. Right. You know, it's different. I think you always want to keep, even if you're a scout, you know that maybe Mayock doesn't want you there long term. Or Gruden doesn't. Yeah, but you want to keep the relationships good because you need references. You want contacts. You want him to say good things about you to another coach down the line. Look how much movement there is in this industry. Right. You want those good vibes going around, and if you don't have them, it's going to be tougher to get jobs. But you know it's human nature to say, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm working till midnight on this thing, and they're not going to keep me around? Mm -hmm. I mean, look. If you if you said to me, look, we're moving on from you, but I need you to do one last Texans All Access, I'd go in and do the best Texans All Access possible because that's the way that I'm wound. But I can see that there are a lot of people that would be like, 
<laughs> See ya. Goodbye. I'm out of here. And I think that's that's kind of – there's probably some in that room that are like, look, coach, I'll do anything for you. I know you're going to move on from me. Like, I get it. I know that's how this business goes. I'll bust my ass for you through the draft, and then I'm going to go somewhere else. You might get on the air and do a whole soliloquy on the very first college football game ever played between Princeton and who? Princeton and Rutgers, 1869. Jeez, that's a pretty good pull right there. I mean, that might have been in the crevices of my brain somewhere. I did say Princeton, but you had the year. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that Civil War era mm-hmm. was the first college football game. It's 150th right the 150th anniversary this year. Right after the – yeah, that's right. I remember that because we were at the league meetings and they're talking about, well, it's the 100th year of the NFL, and guess what? It's the 150th year, the sesquicentennial, as they call it, yeah. of college football. So when the NFL started, those those owners, those original owners said, hey, uh, it's the 50th anniversary of college football. Let's start a pro league. <laughs> yeah, I There don't were know. pro leagues, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, college football – I mean, college football has always been big, but I think it's, I, I think where it was big, I think it was huge in the Midwest and the Northeast to start, and then once it filtered down south and the south got a hold of it, yep. then that's become its home and become its home for a very, very long time. In fact, Atlanta comes here. I was kind of hoping that we would go to Atlanta at some point so I could get to the college football of fame. I haven't been there, and I'd like to be able to go at some point. So I think that would be pretty fun. But, yeah, 150th anniversary for college football, 100th anniversary for NFL. So you're going to see a lot of stuff, which is great for me because I love all that stuff. You're going to see a lot of documentaries. You're going to see a lot of special shows. Yeah, That's, that's going to be really fun to see what people come up with as it pertains to that. 100th year of the NFL, obviously the Packers and the Bears yep. opening up the season. That's huge because that's the oldest rivalry, right? Yep. So you have that. Uh, you have a lot of other games that the schedule makers put on the schedule to sort of highlight the history of the game. Yeah, second week, second week, Bear, or not Bears, uh, Jets, Browns. I've been listening to a podcast, and uh, I think it's Peter King's podcast, and he talked to the schedule makers, Harold, Harold, uh, Howard Katz, and then Mike North, and he talked to a few others, including Blake Jones, who's somebody that I know very, very well. And he's been talking to them about the schedule, and they talked about the impact of certain teams, and the Browns being one of them. But he said one of the things that they wanted to do was present, especially in primetime, matchups that had historical significance. So they had Packers-Chiefs, and I think that's going to be a Sunday night game. That was Super Bowl one. But the one that they were definitely sure on was Browns-Jets. They won at Browns-Jets on Monday night because first Monday, first night, Monday game. night game ever was Browns-Jets. And the play-by-play announcer was? Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. Who became famous in yes. the college football realm. So he did that for one year and then turned it over and – then it became a, a must-see with Dandy Don and Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell. I know you've been checking out all these podcasts about putting together the schedule, and what's interesting to me is that Cleveland is so popular. The yeah. Browns are the bell of the ball it's right now. And I know there are those who also believe they will still be the Browns and something's going to go horribly wrong with them this year. <laughs> and it, it might not be that much fun to watch in prime time as it occurs. I don't know about that. I think they're going to be interesting. As long as Mayfield stays healthy, they should be able to entertain you. Yes. But, I, Johnny, I don't know how you feel. I think it's a lot to expect 9-7, and 10-6. and six. You know, They might have I, – I saw one of the networks saying they have more talent than anybody else in the AFC North. Hold on a second because the most important position on the field is still quarterback to yep. me. And to me, the Steelers still have the best quarterback until Mayfield proves otherwise right, right. or Lamar Jackson or whoever. 
I still say Roethlisberger is the best quarterback, even though Big Ben might be hard to work and play with. Yeah. He has been effective over the years, and I'm not ready to write off Pittsburgh. And certainly Baltimore, they just won the division and beat the Browns, final game of the season mm-hmm. in a clutch situation. And the Bengals might not be as good as they were a few years ago yeah, in 2015 and before that, but they still, I would think, have enough juice to give you a good game and bump off some people. I think... I think the Browns, I know a lot of people want to put the Browns, you know, into the Super Bowl at this point because they went out and got um, Odell Beckham Jr. And, look, I get it. Basically what you did is you made an offensive, offensively potent team that much more potent, I guess. But you're going to take targets away from Antonio Callaway. You're going to take targets away from David Njoku. Those are matchup nightmares for teams. Mm-hmm. And so now you're going to have it with Odell and, and with, with Jarvis. Like, I get it. I mean, and you added Kareem Hunt, but you won't have him for eight games. But to me, they still have a question in the offensive line if Austin Corbett is legit at guard. And then defensively, yeah, Miles Garrett. Like, I get Miles Garrett. Like, Miles is a big-time player, and I love Miles. And then you've got Denzel Ward, who I think is going to be a very, very good corner. But other than that, defensively, you look around and go, okay, they've got good players. Like, Larry Ogunjobi is a good defensive player inside. But outside of Garrett and maybe Denzel Ward, I still feel like that defense is vulnerable. And... I don't know that they did a whole lot really to fortify it. They went, they got Emmanuel Ogba, they traded him. Uh, I know they brought in, I, off the top of my head, I'm trying Pepper's to Pepper's gone. Um, or, uh, yeah, Peppers. They did not want to get rid of Peppers. Now, they did bring in oh, Olivier Vernon on the edge. I never would have gotten rid of Peppers. Uh, not because Peppers is so valuable, but I never would have done that deal. Yeah, I, I just wouldn't have done it for a wide receiver. Like, I, I just... Yep, I just would not have done it for a wide receiver. I don't care. How, I don't care how good Odell Beckham Jr. is. Now, I would do it for somebody like Hopkins because Hop is no trouble on and off the field. You know exactly what you're going to get with Beckham. There's just too much volatility there. Yeah, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't do it for a guy like that. Now, Hopkins, yeah, but you'd really have to twist my arm. And I and I love Hop, but making a deal, giving up as much as they did. I, I don't know. I'd have trouble with that, especially when you look at and say they've got some defensive holes that they could absolutely address at number 17 or trade down into number 20. But they gave it up, did what they had to do. They'll be offensively potent. That's what the networks want to see. They want to see 54-51. Yep. Think about it. They, well, the networks do, sure. Yeah. After a Super Bowl that was 13-3. to Yeah, they want to see that. They want to see 54-51, and that's why, I don't that's know why the Browns I, make sense. I don't know if my heart can take it. Johnny, have a great weekend. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, Cecil Shorts the third, and Drew Doherty. Cecil has so many things to say about who the Texans might take in the upcoming draft and a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of opinions on players past and present from Cecil coming up on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening on a good Friday night with Easter weekend upon us. Mark Vandermeer with you, and we go to this conversation. Drew Doherty and Cecil Shorts the third, and Cecil was on with us at Fuddruckers earlier this week. He's on Texans 360 Saturday night, 11 o'clock, ABC 13. And Drew asked him about a number of things in a podcast, including but not limited to wide receiver health and how it affects Deshaun Watson's upright ability in the pocket. How much does Will Fuller's health and Kiki Kuti's health Factor into protection and not getting sacked for Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun will not have to wait to get anybody to wait for somebody to get open that he's not familiar with. Yeah. Um, especially this time of year. This is the time of year when Deshaun is healthy. Will Fuller's almost healthy. Kiki, DeAndre. This is the time of year where you get the timing down. So nowadays is where they'll probably once a week get together and throw. And as, time, as things pick up, they'll go twice a week, three times a week. And you get that timing down. So now in, in the game, 
when they call certain plays, you know where Will's going to be at. You know where Hopkins is going to be at. You know where Kiki is going to be at. So it's no waiting. Right. It's, it's all timing. So you step back, you drop back, you look the safety off, and you put the ball where it's supposed to be. And that, that helps your lineman out. <laughs> that helps him not getting hit. That helps your, your, your running game out. It, it, helps, it helps everything. So um, they, that, that's just huge. Yeah. I got to give you credit because last year in the summer, you were saying, I mean, you're out front about it. You're like, Will Fuller's going to be a star. He's oh, going to have a huge it, season. He is he was, it. he was on his way. He was going to have about 1,200 yards if he kept up what he was doing. And then yeah. the, knee injury, the knee injury happened. I mean, when did you see it? Was it immediate? Was it in college? What what tipped you off or set you off about Will Fuller? 2015 when he came here. Yeah. He was drafted. And I, I knew of him. I always followed his draft. Um, um, I love what John Harris does here. But I always follow the, follow the draft and follow the top receivers and the top guys. And then I, I like to go – Try to, I try to go in depth and find like, little gems here and there. I'm kind of a draft freak. Me and my dad go back and forth. But um, when he came here, I, I watched him closely. And I was with him in 2015 on, on that roster. and I'm sorry, 2016 on the preseason roster. I was right. with him. Um, and you can just see the potential oozing from him. Of course, he was fast. He can run any go route, post route. What impressed me, number one, he was able to get off the line of scrimmage. And as a receiver in the NFL, you win your routes at the line of scrimmage and the top of the route. So I'm like, okay, he's a he's a smaller guy. So I'm wondering, can he get off the line of scrimmage? Oh, he was incredible. You're not going to jam at the line of scrimmage. So I'm like, well, that's that's one great thing he has already. Um, his rookie year, he made plays in the punt return game. I'm like, well, he's he's exceptional there. So now it's just about developing his route running mm-hmm. and that and 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 developing his hands. He's a little inconsistent at times his rookie year, um, but he was willing to work. So after I saw that, and then when I ended up getting cut, and I'm looking back and, and watching the year go on, I'm like, this kid got it. This kid has it. All he has to do is um, continue to get better, and then he'll be he'll be a star. And plus, the all the attention will not be on him. It'll be on DeAndre Hopkins because how good DeAndre is. So all he has to do is beat one-on-one coverage against a number two defensive back, a number three defensive back. And with him being a first-round guy <laughs> and the capabilities that he has, I just I just saw it. Yeah. It's really interesting because the night he got drafted, he was not in Chicago at the draft, mm-hmm. and we were there. We're covering it, all that stuff. Normally, we, you know, we mic the oh, player. So, so up. you guys go to the yeah, draft. A few oh, that's of us pretty go. cool. Yeah, that's pretty you cool. Know, and it's it is. It's a lot of fun. You, and when the guys there, you get a really cool opportunity to be up front, talk with them, find out a little bit more about him. He wasn't there that day though. He was, I think, at his home in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of scrambling, and we wanted to talk to somebody about him. And Brian Kelly, as head coach, was there because I think you know they had a tackle drafted in the top ten, and there was probably some other players. So he was doing uh, TV with one of the networks. So we got in touch with Kelly's people, drove across you know about ten minutes across town to Chicago to where he was staying, mm-hmm. and we get a, got a one on one with him. And everything he said that night has come true. And when he was saying it, I I was a little skeptical because he was he was saying, "Listen, Will Fuller is a deep threat. He can go." And, and get the football and score touchdowns. That's not just what he is, though. He's not just a guy who catches touchdowns. He's a complete receiver, and he's he's going to change the way defenses react to this offense, and he's going to change your offense. He's going to open things up. And I was like, well, you know, okay, he's he coached the guy. He wants to talk him up. He, he's saying nice things. Yeah. Everything <laughs> Kelly said that night was true because look at what he did last season in those those games that he actually came out and played. I mean, he was, he was running intermediate routes and, and – he was doing the toe drag stuff on the sidelines. Yep. It wasn't just yep. go straight on a on a you know run towards the end zone and yep. 
let it rip. I mean, he's doing it all. He he can. What impressed me is he's his intermediate route game has improved. So he has learned at the top of the route. Like I mentioned before, you win routes in the, in the league at the line of scrimmage, off the release, and at the top of the route. So he's figured out how to gain separation at the top of the route. If it's a comeback, if it's an in route, if it's a curl. Um, and that comes off him making plays down the field with his speed. Yeah. So guys are so scared of him running a post, running a go route, they have to respect when he's running and taking off the line of scrimmage. They have to turn and start running. Um, so he's just done a great job with that, man. And that just comes with hard work. And then plus DeAndre Hopkins, he's he's grown as a leader mm-hmm. since I've been here in 2015 as well. So he's he's showing the guys the way. He's showing um, not only uh, – I think his biggest uh, his biggest thing, though, is, is showing by example. Mm-hmm. He's leading by example. He's one of the hardest working guys at practice. And he, he, he's going to continue to, to motivate the young guys. And when they see him, they ask questions, and, and, and DeAndre's a great leader. He was drafted in 13, Hopkins was. Yes. And I don't think it was until 2016 that he still wasn't the youngest receiver in the room. So he was in 13, wow. but he was in 14, I think, as well. And I think in 15, when you and Nate Washington were here, yeah. there were still Nate, some other young guys. Nate was old as dirt. Yeah, Nate but, was 50 years old playing But you, were, you two were the outliers. I think it was DeAndre and a bunch of other young guys. He yeah. was still the youngest of them. I think it was until He was younger 16. than Jalen Strong. I think he and, was, wow. age-wise, yeah. Because you remember he came out early, but he was young for his yeah. grade, I believe, yeah. as well. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Which cornerbacks do you like the most of the the ones coming out in this draft? You got a favorite? Or two, or um, three. You know, uh, everybody would say greedy. I'm not. I'm not that sold. I think he's a good player. I think he's athletic. I'm just not that sold on on him. Um, to me, I like the guy from Temple, Rocky Sin. Rocky Sin, yeah. I think he's a, a physical guy. He could run. Um, I, I just love physical corners because me as a receiver, I didn't like a guy that was going to punch me, be physical with me at the line of scrimmage, make me work harder at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Because that's something that's that's just it's just hard to do. So you go against a strong guy, and he's physical, and he has good technique. I just see that in rock. Um, so I wouldn't mind him preferably coming here to the Texans. Yeah. Um, but Gre- Greedy is good. Um, DeAndre Baker, I think, is a playmaker. Um, I know people kind of doubted his speed coming from Georgia um, at the combine. But he's a playmaker, man. He, he can play the game of football. And I love how he is in, in, in zone and in press coverage. And in here, you have to play both. You got to be uh, a, a zone, have great technique, but also you got to be a smart player because if you were with Jonathan Joseph or Kareem Jackson when he was here in the past, those guys were intelligent guys. That's why they were able to make plays. They understood what was going on on the offensive side of the ball, um, the, the down, the distance, their tendencies. And I think those couple guys have that. Plus it would be nice to have a third DeAndre on the team. You know, oh, wait, DeAndre yeah. Carter. And DeAndre Baker. That's very true. I forgot about D.C. Carter. Yeah. It's like uh, when yeah. you were here, you, we never had enough Akeems. We had Akeem Dent, Akeem Hunt, Akeem. Was it Akeem Hunt? Or was it? Yeah, Akeem Hunt. Yeah, Akeem yeah. Hunt. I think there was another Akeem. There was a, Hunt wants a running back, yeah. Yeah, anyhow. Um, hey, free agency-wise, Brian Gain talked a little bit about it today. With the loss of Andre Howe, he said, we're going to look to the depth that's currently on the roster. We're going to probably look in the draft. And if we're still looking, we might – delve into free agency afterwards. Just a few safeties that are still out there, one of whom you played against twice a year when you were with Jacksonville. He was here, Glover Quinn. Ah. Left in 13 for the Lions, and and he was lights out with the Lions. He's got like 20-some career interceptions, yeah. which would Pro maybe, Bowl, he'd, he'd be, say, right? absolutely, yeah. he'd be the franchise leader if, if those interceptions had stayed here. But he's on the street, so to speak, and I think he still wants to play. He'd be. A, what do you remember about Glover Quinn? Uh, smart player. Uh, very active in the, in the back end. I remember him and Jonathan Joseph communicating often. 
And I used to be like, I saw the Jonathan Joseph, like, what are y'all talking about? Some of the stuff, like, what, what's going on back there? Like, why are you talking so much? Um, but they did a, uh, and then Jonathan Joseph raves about him, honestly. He, he to this day, um, always wonders why the, you know, we didn't sign, the Texans didn't sign him back. Yeah. It's the Ed um, Reed offseason that Ed that's, Reed yep, came here. So. Yep, 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 yep. So, you know, that's just, that's the business side of things. But to me, I think he'll be a good addition. Um, depth-wise, because yeah. that, that's what you need. You need depth. I think you – honestly, I'm very confident, and in, in the more I hear Gibson talk, the more I like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want somebody back there that's confident, and him and Reed together I think can do some really good things. Um, but to add depth with with Quinn, who's been a Pro Bowl guy, who, understand, who can under, come in and understand his role and then help the younger guys like Mike Tyson and other guys come along, I think it would be good. Okay, what are you doing these days? Besides the knee thing, what are you up to? Um, wow. <laughs> so besides taking care of my seven kids. <laughs> yes, which I want to hear about. You, know, you get seven you had four seven children kids, and yeah. then this early this fall your yeah. your wife yep. had triplets. Yes, so three she, girls. she wanted one more kid. And I'm like, babe, why? You can you can handle two, I can handle two. It's like a zone defense. Right. You got two, I got two. Yeah. But you know, wives always win. So um we end up uh, getting pregnant, which was outstanding, and then we end up find they found they told us that it was twins. At first. So when we told us twins, I'm like, okay, we can handle twins. They get up at night, you can feed one, I can feed one, and we can, we can attack it that way. And then we go back two or three weeks later, and they say it's triplets. I'm like, wait a second. This is not <laughs> supposed to happen. I'm like, please check her stomach, check everything. Make sure there's no more kids hiding in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's a busy schedule with that. Um, but I do a lot of training now. So I actually train a couple guys, uh, high school kids. Um, that are receivers that I, I enjoy kind of keeps me in the game. Pure football stuff, or are you doing like weights with them? Or? No, I'm I'm pure pure football uh-huh. stuff. So any like uh, position specific uh, drills, especially receivers, receivers, tight ends, running backs. I, I love doing, but I also do like DBs and mm-hmm. and linebackers and et cetera. Um, so I've been doing that. I, do, I work in my church, so I'm one of the youth leaders at my church um, every Sunday. So that has me busy throughout the week. Uh, communicating with them, just trying to motivate them, help them. You know, it's just tough in your teen years to try to figure things out. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just here yeah. to be a, a ear, a it's listening important. ear. Yeah, that's important. That's cool. I'm glad you're doing it. Because I, we, we all know all the stuff you're doing on the radio and the TV. Yes, and yes. That and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun. I would love to uh, uh, dig into that more. And uh, like I think I mentioned on the radio the other day, I, I want to be into uh, coaching eventually. Yep. Um, my dad was a coach. My grandfather was a coach. My uncle was a coach. So, it's kind of in my blood to to be a, a coach, and plus I heard they pay well here if you're a head coach at at a high school in, in Texas. Yes, sir. <laughs> you're in the right spot for that. Okay. But, but one more thing, real quick. No, yeah, yeah, I yeah, got yeah. a football camp coming up. Whoa, what's the deal? When? Um, it's a free kids camp. Free. That's June fifteenth at 15th. Butler Stadium in Houston. Butler. Yeah. Okay. What's so, the name of it? The name of the what? The camp. Oh, Caesar Shorts the Third football camp. Okay. Who all is going to be there? Oh, man, we're going to have some former Texans there. Mm-hmm. Um, my man Toro's actually coming, too. Nice. Um, we're going to have a couple. We're working on a couple current current players, so you never know who might show up. might be DeAndre Hopkins. Um, he knows a thing about He knows a thing, too, about catching a ball. So it'll be fun. This is a, this is a fun kids' camp, ages 7 through 13. And if anybody wants to know more about it, uh, we'll start promoting it next week. And you can go to cs3football.com. I love it. I yeah. love it. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. All right, let's wrap this up. We're going to do a uh, lightning round. Oh. We're going to ping pong around about just various subjects, okay? All right, here we go. Water slides or brownies? Brownies. I'm scared of water I can't swim. Who was the toughest player you ever played with? Could be high school, could be junior high, could be pros. Toughest. The toughest? Yes. Uh, 
Ben Jones. Is that right? Ben Jones. How come? Just walked through a lot of injuries. Yeah. And then uh, just the type of stuff he would go through on a, in, the, in the trenches. And, I mean, he I don't think he missed a game when he when I was here. Nope. He was just a, just a tough guy. He ate a lot of bugs, which is kind of weird. But um, Went barefoot a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind probably in places you probably shouldn't go barefoot. Yes, yes. But he just, just, a, just a tough guy, man, and, and, and just loved the game. So Ben Jones. Yeah. He played three different spots here. Right guard, center, and left guard. He was he was really uh, versatile. That's why he got. That's why he got paid in Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> Miss Ben Jones. Uh, favorite favorite drink of any type. Of any type. Yeah. Um, you know, it might sound weird. I like Gatorade. Gatorade. What flavor? Uh, it's uh, I never know the flavor. It's a very very dark blue, almost purple. Mm, okay. Most famous person you've ever met? Doctor J. Julius Irvin. Where? At a Atlanta Hawks versus Los Angeles Lakers game in 2013. Did you get to talk much with him? I was terrified. I was terrified. So he was sitting. We actually had some. We were second row seats, and he was sitting in the first row. And I tapped my wife like, "Do you know who that is?" And she's like, "No." I'm like, "Do you know who Dr. J is? Are you kidding me? It's my dad's favorite player." So she actually tapped him on the shoulder, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" He turned and we we chatted for a little <laughs> bit. But I was nervous. <laughs> I think right now he's underappreciated. I don't think people realize. They don't know how great he was. Yeah. I, I yeah. played a video game when I was a little kid called Dr. J versus Larry Bird. It was on, like, a regular oh. computer. It's still one of the most fun video games. It was just simple, but it was a good time. Uh, most famous person you want to meet uh, that have not met? Probably Denzel Washington. How come? I just appreciate his, his role. He can play anything, and I believe it. He can be anything. I mean, he can be a football coach. He can be a mass murderer. He can be a he can be a nun. I, I just <laughs> I just love how he, I just love his work. His son is really good too. His son is awesome. Played in the league for a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Isn't that wild? That was pretty cool. Yeah, but his son's pretty good. I like him. Interesting conversation. I met Doctor J once, and I was totally starstruck. Could not believe that I was meeting the doctor. Great to hear from Cecil. Great to hear from Drew. And great to have you listening tonight. Don't forget, Texans 360 on ABC 13, Saturday night, 11 o'clock. NFL Draft next week on Sports Radio 610. Wall-to-wall coverage will be on with you starting Thursday night with Andre, Johnny, and me, the broadcast crew on the draft. Robert Hensley with us as well. It's going to be fun. Have a great weekend, everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. Have a wonderful time Saturday and Sunday. We'll be back on Monday at 6. Go Texans.